Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a podcast built around the stories of yesteryear as told by the very people who lived through them. My name is Aaron Weisler, and I will be your host. Every week or so, I will speak with a different senior citizen with a different life story to share. I hope you enjoy. This week on our inaugural episode, we are joined by Selma Murbaum, a native of the Bronx, New York, with a fascinating life story to share. As with all of our interviewees, we provided Selma with a list of questions and topics ahead of time. Usually, I would be interjecting with follow-up questions throughout the interview. But once I presented the topics to Selma and began our conversation, she just ran with them. So if you don't hear my voice much during the program, you'll know why. And now, without any further ado, we bring you an uninterrupted conversation with Selma Murbaum, a member of The Greatest Generation. Today, we're here with Selma Murbaum. Um, I'd like to thank you for your time. So, if I may, uh, if we can start with your childhood. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up in the Bronx, mostly. I was born in Brooklyn, but my parents moved to the Bronx when I was very young. We lived in several apartments. We never lived in a house, mm-hmm. and we never lived lower than the third floor. My mother didn't like to be low down, and uh, I even remember the numbers of the houses in which we lived and uh, the house from where I got married eventually mm-hmm. was on Bryant Avenue. Okay. My parents were hard, very hard working. My mother could make something from nothing. She was a seamstress. She cooked very well so that when he took me into New York City, Manhattan, uh, to the long gone horn and hardocked automat where one got sandwiches out mm. of a little booth after inserting coins. Uh, he worked nights and my mother would get up at two, three in the morning when he came home and uh, give him something to eat. So uh, they were loving. My father had a great sense of humor, which my son has inherited. And uh, as a matter of fact, today is October 31st, and it's the anniversary of his leaving us. I'm so sorry. So, uh, yeah. But uh, they were great, and my mm-hmm. father passed away from pneumonia. My mother subsequently moved to Queens, where we lived at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, that is where she passed away. I had one brother who was seven years younger than I was, mm-hmm. and uh, we did not hang out too much together because seven years is a big difference mm-hmm. in some families, and uh, he eventually became a driver of limousines, and mm-hmm. he married and had a son, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't see him very often. He was here once when we were in Atlanta, and I thought he would settle here, but uh, he didn't, and he went back to Connecticut, where he passed away. He was only about in his 60s. So uh, I have no other siblings, and I have too few relatives. There were many things going on when I was growing up, and the Great Depression was one of them. And... What can say? What can one say about being poor? You don't know you're poor, really, mm-hmm. because my mother was what they call in Yiddish 
a balabusta or a mm-hmm. great housewife. And she could really make something from nothing. And so I did not feel deprived in any sense or form. She was a seamstress. She could work on clothing. She made dresses. She made clothes for us, for me anyway. Mm-hmm. And she subsequently was working in the fur business, and she could even work with fur. She was uh, also a member of a, a philanthropic ladies' organization, and uh, I think it was called the Anna Walter Society, where they would give charity mm-hmm. to people who were less well-off than we were, right. and we were not well-off. Mm-hmm. But somehow we managed very well. And the day that the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor was a Saturday, if I recall correctly. Uh, I don't know if it really affected us immediately. Mm-hmm. We just got the news, and it was very shocking, and we knew that there would be a, a war coming, Mm-hmm. And uh, I subsequently became a, an air raid warden. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes back a long time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the war was over, mm-hmm. and we had people coming back. There was a Cold War. There were f- frictions between the United States and Russia. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, I just saw a photograph of somebody of Mr. Reagan saying, "Take down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev," mm-hmm. and uh, the next president, Mr. Bush. There is a series going on at the present time of mm-hmm. uh, all about the American president. Right. So mm-hmm. I've been watching some of them. Uh, I went to James Monroe High School. Mm-hmm which was a long, long walk from where I lived. And I graduated with what they call uh, an academic degree Mm -hmm. in 1940, which prepares you for exactly nothing. Mm -hmm. But I went to summer school, and I learned Mm -hmm. steno, shorthand, Mm -hmm. and uh, how to work in an office. I learned to type, and so I became a secretary. My friends became bookkeepers. I wasn't very good with figures, so I became a secretary. And I traveled the subways. And one of my first jobs was with the great sum of $5 per week, of which I gave my mother the most, and I saved enough for car fare. Mm -hmm. I traveled on the subways in New York City all the time, and... um, I sort of missed them because you could go any place you wanted within the five boroughs if you took a subway. In Europe, where you have some great subway systems, the London Underground, mm-hmm. under which they are building a new tunnel these days, really? which they had a video on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the, the uh, subway system in Moscow mm-hmm. that looked like an art gallery. But that Mm -hmm. goes back along. We were there in the 80s. And uh, it's interesting to ride the different subways in the different Mm -hmm. towns. My husband. I know you had already mentioned what you did. My first husband Uh, was a cardiologist. And he was a heart specialist, cardiologist. He was in charge of the um, department at the Bronx Hospital. 
and most of my friends were doctors. Mm -hmm. And of course, unfortunately, he suffered from a heart condition for which there was no helping except pills. They gave everybody a nitroglycerin pill mm -hmm. to put under their tongue because we did not have stents or bypasses mm -hmm. or pacemakers or any other thing mm -hmm. to help people with heart conditions. Mm -hmm. So he was bedridden, actually, for two years, and subsequently, after four or five, it was almost five years, he uh, passed away. And I remained in the Bronx. I lived opposite a great park called Van Cortland Park mm -hmm. on the west side of the upper Bronx. And that is where I lived in this, what they call, one-bedroom apartment these days. Mm -hmm. It was three rooms. And uh, I met Isidore, my second husband, uh, through a blind date. I had been engaged to a man who was uh, whom I met in the country. Mm -hmm. And the reason I was in the country was that I was sitting in my office one day and I felt that I had not made the right decision in being engaged to this particular person. Mm -hmm. There was nothing wrong with him. Right. And uh, I said to my friend, who was a friend in a friendship that lasted for 70 years, mm -hmm. and she said... My cousins and I are going to the country. At that time, the country was called the Borscht Belt, mm -hmm. a specific area of which there was no to which there is no comparison in Upper New York State. So I went to the country and I met this man, and I remember his name. His name was Willie. He was a stockbroker, and we danced together. And he said. I have a friend, a lady friend, who has a single brother. Would you like to meet him? And I said, why not? I've met so many different people and gone out with taxi drivers, with mm -hmm. other guys. One more won't make a difference. So he called me, and we made a date. And in June 1959, he appeared at my door. He was really good-looking, and maybe it was love at first sight. Uh, but anyway, he was very attractive, and we had a nice time. Mm -hmm. And we subsequently were going each on his his vacation and my vacation, for which we had made previous plans. Mm -hmm. So when we both came back, we had four dates, and we got married in September of the same year. He was then working for his brother. He was an electrician by trade. Okay. And uh, after a year living in the apartment, going back and forth to Queens, paying a quarter over the bridge, I said that was the reason we got married after four dates. Uh, we decided to move to Queens. So we moved to Queens, but my daughter, Sabrina Jordan, was born in the Bronx Hospital because that's where I had my obstetrician and all my friends. Mm -hmm. We lived in an apartment in Jamaica, and subsequently we found a house, and we moved to the house in July of 1960 or 61, I guess it was, 63, mm -hmm. because that's the year that uh, David was born, and he was about two months when we moved into the house, and we stayed there. <coughs> 
<clears throat> for 31 years mm -hmm. when we migrated to Atlanta. And in the meantime, Iz had started his own business of putting in burglar alarms, which is sort of new. Mm -hmm. And so that is what he did most of our married life. And uh, he retired from that when we moved down here. Mm -hmm. And subsequently died five years ago. Sorry. We decided in the 80s mm -hmm. that we would do some traveling. Mm -hmm. Instead of waiting for whenever, as mm -hmm. some of our friends would say, we're going to wait till we retire or do something else. We're not going now. Right. But we decided that we'd like to see some of the world. So when the kids were old enough, mm -hmm. but before then, I must tell you, when we had the two children, mm -hmm. and they became human, I say, when we were not troubled with diapers and formula mm -hmm. and so forth, as they have now re everything ready-made. Right. Mm -hmm. So we would travel to the Adirondacks every year, and we took a bungalow up there. And from the Adirondacks, we would travel to Lake Placid, and we would go up to Canada every year. So we did a lot of car traveling. Mm -hmm. To this day, my daughter will do a lot of car traveling. Mm -hmm. My son is not a car traveler. He likes to get where he's going a little more quickly. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when we, they, they were both in college, almost, uh, we decided we could leave them home by themselves and the mm -hmm. house would not be destroyed. Mm -hmm. So we started going to Europe. And of course, the, the first place we went to was Israel. And uh, it was a great trip. And it was very inspiring mm -hmm. because we were both very, very... Jewish-minded, inclined, mm -hmm. right. and very proud of being Jewish. And so we volunteered twice to uh, work with the uh, Israeli army as volunteers for several weeks at a time uh, in Israel. Mm -hmm. And subsequently, my daughter spent a year in Israel uh, on a kibbutz. We went to visit her. And I tell people it's the only time I ever saw my daughter with a mop in her hand. <laughs> but um, and David came to Israel to study uh, with his teacher. I believe his name is Mr. Heilman, and he subsequently became Orthodox in the me in the meantime. It's very interesting, which we found out a little later. So everybody has been to Israel. We had been to Israel maybe five six times, which. Um, was great. We used to go directly from New York, and then eventually we could go from Atlanta to to Israel. Mm -hmm. But um, we haven't been. We hadn't been for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was. It was surprising to me when I think about it that. Uh, I was married 52 years, and I, you never think about it. You say, how long will I be married? Right. Or you just do your day-to-day -day thing with your husband, mm -hmm. and you compromise, and it's mm -hmm. not an easy job to be married. That's why maybe people get divorced so quickly, yeah. because you have to work at it. It's another job, mm -hmm. 
and most of the burden many times falls on the female because she whether she works or not <clears throat> she's responsible for the children for the education for the religious aspect of their marriage for the dietary laws mm -hmm. and everything that goes with being the female half of the marriage mm -hmm. these days many many more men you will see taking care of children, diapering them, taking them out, feeding them. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, the men did not do this. It was just wasn't part of the, of the culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, we enjoyed traveling very much. We learned from it. And I have bookcases, which I can show you, full mm -hmm. of my books that when I came back from a trip, I would write write up our experiences and our our adventures, and um, and we had lots and lots of pictures and postal cards. At that time, before the euro came into mm -hmm. effect, you could buy uh, twenty postal cards for a dollar. There would be men standing on the streets outside of the cathedrals. Mm -hmm. or the major places, mm -hmm. but postal cards were much, much cheaper than they are now in Europe. Right. And uh, mm -hmm. so you'd buy a whole slot of postal cards. Mm -hmm. That was great for me because I, write up, I wrote up all my trips. Mm -hmm. And uh, while we didn't play any instruments, the kids had music lessons, you know, and you have to give your kids music lessons. Mm -hmm. So David learned the piano, and I think he played the trumpet, and Sabrina played the cello. Not that she ever practiced, but the teacher gave her a cello, and he said, okay, this is yours. But these days, she plays wherever she lives, because subsequently, after she was married, her husband was in the men's uh, clothing business, and he would go to Europe uh, very frequently in China, mm -hmm. and and they moved around the United States, so she would join the community orchestras and uh, play in them. And now, I think she's pretty well settled in Grand Rapids. She plays in the Grand Rapids. Um, they have a community orchestra, mm -hmm. and she also sings in the chorus. And my granddaughter plays the violin, and my one of my grandsons plays the violin also. Wow, very musical so family. We're yeah, my grandfather tried to teach me the violin mm -hmm. when I was about five or six. They lived not too far from us in the Bronx, and every Friday afternoon I would walk to the library, which was mm -hmm. called the Morrisania Library, which was a beautiful building with a marble staircase mm -hmm. going up. I would stop and see my grandparents. And he wanted to teach me the violin. But, of course, as a kid, I said, no, I can't hold it too much under my chin, Grandpa. It's too much trouble. So I really didn't learn to play the violin. I did try to learn the piano many, many years later. But uh, I think I'm, I'm more of an appreciator of music right. and mm -hmm. opera and symphonies. And my first husband was a... We had tickets to the... Uh, symphony orchestras in New York City. So we, we did that aspect of music. And 
destinations. I don't know if I have any destinations at the moment. In two weeks, I'm going off to France for a river cruise on the Rhone River. And at the end of December, uh, we're going to um, what they call the Dalmatian coast, Adriatic. I think mm-hmm. it's Dalmatian. Mm-hmm. We're going to Croatia, Montenegro, and Serbia uh, wow. for two weeks uh, on a river cruise. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I do for leisure is try to keep busy. Not all the time, because I don't want to be busy 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. However, I have been a member of the senior group in Alpharetta since we came here. That was one of the first places we joined, aside from joining a synagogue. Mm-hmm. And we saw most of Georgia from a bus. We had a very good director who could drive a big bus. And so we would go every place they went in Georgia so to see and learn about the state to which we, to which, uh, we had moved. Mm-hmm. And in between that, we took our own trips. And then, of course, um, I belong to the Alpharetta Historical Society because I'm interested in history. Mm-hmm. And um, we have speakers who come there, and that's once a month. And then I belong to maybe one or two other groups mm-hmm. here and there. I have a bunch of friends that we keep in touch and we have lunch once a month. And uh, you meet people all along the way, so you keep in touch with them and so forth. As far as my leisure activities, I, I like to write. Mm-hmm. I give talks on American Jewish history. It's one of my hobbies. And uh, I read all the time. And uh, What do you like to read? I like to read the light mystery books because while they are fact, not factual in the sense of the, the murder taking place mm-hmm. and some of the places may or may not exist, they have themes. Mm-hmm. And so one mystery book, the lady who does most of the mystery, uh, looking into mysteries and right. murders, mm-hmm. owns a tea shop. So along the way and throughout the book, they will talk about different kinds of teas. And this is factual. Chinese teas and Mm -hmm. orange teas and black teas. So you will learn. Mm -hmm. And one of the ladies has a coffee shop in Soho in New York City. And they talk about the different kinds of coffee because her husband is a buyer of coffee beans and coffee. So. They, they have themes, mm-hmm. and while the story itself is a novel and, and fiction, the facts about the subject of tea or coffee or whatever it might be, uh, you can learn from. Right. So that's my light reading. My other reading will be philosophy and Jewish history, and I take classes with both the conservative and the orthodox rabbis. So I oh, get uh, okay. different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Uh, I belong to the conservative synagogue, Beth Shalom, and mm-hmm. I take classes with Rabbi Zimmerman on Thursday mornings, mm-hmm. and he discusses the section of the of the Torah that we read every okay. week. But he did start out 
many, many years ago with doing some history and some other things. So um, it has been very interesting. And then I take a class with the Chabad rabbi, Rabbi uh, Minky Hershkowitz, mm-hmm. who teaches um, six-week courses three times a week on different subjects. Mm-hmm. And then on Thursday nights, he has sort of a philosophy class about the spirituality and our souls and our awareness of who we are and what kind of people we are. It's it's more like a philosophy class. Mm -hmm. So I find it interesting and that's enough to keep me busy. Besides, I have a cat who has disappeared. You won't see him Mm -hmm. because he doesn't come when company comes. (laughs) Oh, So uh, that's what keeps me busy. What do I see as the biggest problem facing the world today? That's a very interesting question because I think we have one of the most interesting, I'll call it, Mm -hmm. elections coming up. And uh, while I have no way of knowing who will become our next president, Mm -hmm. I know that I would not want that job. It comes with a lot of headaches. I think Hillary has much more (coughs) experience in this matter than Trump Mm -hmm. uh, as far as governing is concerned Mm -hmm. and diplomacy Mm -hmm. and uh, dealing with some of the things that are going on today. It's difficult to say because people don't, the people who are fighting for instance, in Syria, where the president of the country has no hesitation about gassing or killing his own people. Mm-hmm. These are people who have different cultures and different morals or no morals and different ethics about dealing with other people. Yeah. They want to con- convert everybody in this world to their way of thinking, which is not going to happen. No. Mm-hmm. So... Those are some of the problems we have. And you want people to be respectful, treat you nicely. You want people to treat people nicely. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to see the younger folk, men and women, going off to be shot and dismembered and hurt mm-hmm. because it's not a very positive thing for them to live the rest of their lives sort of disabled and some completely disabled and some never coming out of a hospital. So it makes me very unhappy to think that way, but that's a reality that we face after a war. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not a pleasant one. What would I consider my greatest achievement? That I had two great kids. We really didn't have any problems with them growing up. Of course, my, they never clean their rooms, you know, but that's not unusual for my children. We didn't have any problems with them, with bad company, because my daughter especially collected people so that she would bring to the house people who were white, black, green, Chinese, of any religion or color or whatever, and everybody got along fine, and she was always very busy. 
And uh, my son went about his business of becoming a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud of them. My daughter now has a job where she is in charge of an Alzheimer's unit in a um, facility. Mm-hmm. And it's not a job many of us could do. And she has been under stress for a long time. And I do worry about her, but I have gray hair already, so it doesn't matter. And um, she works very hard. And she she has the capabilities of interacting with the families of these people who are no longer with us in, in mind, but only right. in body. And I think that is... I, I, I cannot say how, how badly... One feels about it, it's what we would say, an imglick, uh, a curse. Mm-hmm. It, is, it yes. is so sad that you feel for these people who are afflicted in this way for which they, they have no reason. It just has afflicted them. Yeah. And it makes you very, very sad. It does. Well, I have some advice for future generations. I wish they would learn how to write better. And um, I read articles written by psychologists that I have a little note. I just took it out today. I was going to send it to one of my grandchildren. <laughs> it said, um, writing a thank you note. Pick up a pen and writing a thank you note is good for the brain. And the fact that they're losing the art of writing is very disturbing to me. And also, I see a lack of manners. And that is up to the parent. But since the parents mostly are of, not of my generation, Mm -hmm. we think differently. We think differently about money. We think differently about, well, maybe they don't think about manners because they're also walking around with... uh, Smartphones, iPhones, mm-hmm. walking around this way. It's a wonder we won't be having children with four thumbs so they could play right. with the telephones. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I think future generations should have a little more manners. And um, If I could have a conversation with anyone since the dawn of time, who would it be and what would you say? I have never thought about that. I have people I think about. There are artists Mm -hmm. and there are wise men and there are philosophers with whom some of them I don't agree. I mean, some of them are... uh, they are, um, there is no God, there are no rules, people just have to do what gives them pleasure. Right. There are others who think more deeply and feel that uh, we have somebody, someplace, because in the long run, sometimes I think we, we're human beings and it gives us a little more strength, or we mm-hmm. feel that even if we talk to ourselves sometimes, right. it'll cheer us up. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are things which one does not prove, but I do believe that the my background and my Jewish background has given me, should give me a desire to 
be ethical. Mm-hmm. And while I do, I'm not a pushcart or a peddler or a man with a sack on his back, give people the right weight, as it says in the Torah. Right. Give everybody the right weights that they are paying for. And uh, feed your animals before you feed yourself. Mm-hmm. So that I try. I think I have... Um, become a little more, a little better person, a little more emotional as I get older, and uh, maybe a little more considerate, and maybe I have learned something, but I think I, I'm learning all the time, because life I, is a learning experience for me, mm-hmm. and and I'm very grateful to the people that I meet, and that I have friends, and uh, family, and uh, a house and uh, I had thought my husband and I would grow old together but that was not to be and I have to accept it although it's still very difficult yeah. so I go about doing what I have to do and, right. and that's, that's, that's all I can say and the greatest achievement of mankind during the 20th or 21st century I like the progress mm-hmm because progress always has positive sides, mm-hmm. but I'm not happy with some of the negative aspects, especially of the computer or the cell phone, where people with not such good intentions can harm or influence other people, like right. like older people and men who would get on the computer and find willing young ladies who are not familiar with the world yet. That negative aspect disturbs me, and I don't think there's anything that anybody can do about it except uh, you accept progress as it comes along, and uh, so we live with it. I'm I'm not very uh, familiar with the computer. I'm not, I'm very illiterate at it practically, but I know it's here to stay and it is a help here and there. And when somebody can say, well, I'll put this in the telephone. It'll tell us how to get to somebody's house. I think that's great. Right. Because I don't wander around at night unless I know exactly where I'm going. Right. I mean, I could get around New York, but this is Atlanta, so it's a little different. Okay, so how was um, being Jewish influence? Um, how has that influenced your life as a whole? Well, the basic premise of Judaism is to be ethical and to be moral. I don't think it says you have to pray twenty-four hours a day or sit with the Torah twenty-four hours a day, but I think. There is always room for people to learn or to study. But I recognize the fact that people have to make a living. And then a man comes home from work or a woman comes home from work. They've done a day's work and it's tiring. And you don't have the energy to go out and say, I have a lesson tonight or do. Although there are lots of people who have come up from poverty and done just that. I think that comes from the personality of the person. And if you can't study Torah 
or Judaism. It's not a crime. It's just something that you cannot cannot do. It's uh, right. you can't force people to study. There are people who enjoy studying and reading and learning right. and listening, and there are people who just go on their merry way and they're busy with what they're doing and that's the way it goes. Every one of us is different and every one of us is unique and everybody has something to offer except for the few who are really incorrigible, I guess, because there are some people who cannot be turned around or changed to think positively. Right. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I don't think so. I think if you have any questions, I'd be glad to answer them. Uh, oh, I, I just feel I'm very fortunate and lucky to have friends and relatives mm-hmm. and uh, appreciate what I have. It's always good to appreciate what you have. Always good. Well, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today on the inaugural episode of The Greatest Generation, where we have been speaking with Selma Murbaum and learning all about her life story. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to The Greatest Generation on iTunes. We really appreciate your support. See you in a week or so for the next installment of The Greatest Generation.